Hello. Hey, this is Ergo. It is indeed. I'm Kiss. I am Damon. And what we do here is showcase the folks reshaping the culture of our city and world for the more equitable and creative. This is a really fun on-the-line episode we have for you this week. We didn't mention it in the episode, uh, so we wanted to share in the intro that this episode is part of our BYP Spotlight series. That's a partnership that we've been doing with BlackYouthProject.com. Dame, you want to tell them a little bit about BYP? BYP, or BlackYouthProject.com, an amazing website. It is a platform uh, where the social and political issues facing young Black people, not only in the States, but globally, are being discussed whether it be through long-form articles and written pieces or other content, definitely, definitely, definitely go check out what is happening at blackyouthproject.com. So if you go to the BYP website, you'll see the whole BYP spotlight as well as on our website, ergoradio.com slash BYP dash ergo. You can hear all of almost a year's worth of conversations, including this week's episode with the one and only Denez Smith. Denez is a poet from Minneapolis. They're a collaborator of mine on a podcast for the Poetry Foundation called Verses, and they've been really a present and forceful participant in the uprising over the last couple of weeks, helping their home city move toward abolition in like a real way. So they seemed like the perfect person to be talking to as we expand outside of just Chicago. Uh, to understand what this moment looks like. And also, you know, outside of Minneapolis and in their professional work, what does the fight for racial justice look like, you know, in an arts industry and in, you know, once you get to the big money. So it's a great conversation. Uh, check out all of our BYP Spotlight episodes. All right. Denez Smith on Ergo. Let's get into it. Yeah. We have a very, very special guest on the line with us today. Folks, Denez Smith is here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was two ravens, two crows in response to each other. <laughs> Different sides um, of the street. Absolutely. They're just communicating. Nezzy, let's start where we start uh, all of our episodes. In this time, this moment, this season, how's the world treating you and how are you treating the world? Um, y'all have a much better question than we have over at Y'all are y'all are really doing your podcast thing, let me tell you. Um the world is treating me decent. Um, I think uh part of like just like self-care and all that, I guess, has looked like um what does it mean to like think about the long-term commitment to like change and revolution and stuff like that, and not just uh the intense like adrenaline chaos response that I think so many folks in Minneapolis and St. Paul had were in for a long time. On top of like, you know, just like being black your whole life. Um so yeah, so I think it's been like weird to like also like feel a little bit more settled this week, right? Or even have to make space for things that signal settled to me, um, like exercise or like, I'm a really big rollerblader in these Corona times. And so it's like weird to like, make sure that like, I'm like, oh, okay, like at least for like an hour a day, I'm like outside, like listening to bops, just kind of like dancing on some skates. And that feels like something that didn't feel at all possible uh, to do two weeks ago, three weeks ago in the midst and just in all the feelings. Um, And even in the work, right? Like, um, I think as many of us were in the streets and also in the mutual aid efforts that, uh, that were going on, there was this get up and go-ness and sort of um, you felt bad for resting and you couldn't even sleep at all because the city was still on fire. So not, nothing was good. So it was sort of like, 
this commitment to exhaustion mm. where I don't th- it was hard to even make space for the small things. I was crying over my grandma's spaghetti because I literally couldn't cook for myself two weeks ago. Mm. And so now, you know, to be back um, in this more balanced life where there is new or let's say like more abundant kind of works that are going on, I think, and long-term visioning and work, like there's more space for, you know, sleeping with my lover. There's more room for taking time in their garden. There's more room for all these other things that are also, I think, like part of that, like sort of like revolutionary practice. If like, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the city is like, yeah, just maybe getting back to some of that revolutionary like joy. Yeah, the fu- the future should have room for you to dance on rollerblades. That's the whole, <laughs> yeah. that's the point of a lot of this. Yeah. What's up with people who rollerblade discreetly? If you're gonna be on rollerblades, like <laughs> you gotta give it your. That's all. what I mean. Let the people I see know. a lot of folks that are a lot of folks out there are just like really. I don't know. They're just like too into like working out on yeah. rollerblades, and I'm just like, bro, you're on rollerblades in shorts outside in the summer. Like, have this fun. is an inherently like, silly thing that we're doing. Yeah, you know, so, I'm like, ninety percent of this community is gay. Be gay, like, you know? be, be gay. So I want to I want to do something. First of all, this is special, and I want to make sure that we name the specialness. Um, it's kind of like one of those crossover TV show episodes. They do the cartoons a mm-hmm. lot. Like mm-hmm. Archer and Bob's Burgers like have one of the same voices, and so like they're over in each other's world. We're like universe clashing, and that, that means a lot. So shout out to Versus and all the work that y'all do. Um, so, so you affirmed our, our opening question. It's a pretty special and sacred thing, and I want to add like an intimate caveat to it. Uh, and, and I feel like since you are family and we're doing a crossover episode, I want to just like make record of it in this special time. Um, and you already kind of spoke to it, right? But just, we always ask, how is the world treating you? How are you treating the world? And that's very external. And you answered that question uh, with a lot of wisdom and went internal. But I want to like start making the practice of particularly people we have a relationship with, of making space of how are we treating ourselves. And so you, you start to talk about making that space to not be committed to exhaustion, to make space for love mm-hmm. and joy and, and silliness. And we have a lot of revolution to talk about. But just to like begin the practice of coming out of this big world question, back to you a little bit more. How are you treating yourself right now? Hmm. Yeah, thank you for that. And how is the uh, self treating you? Ooh. How is, ooh, ooh. <laughs> um, <laughs> them niggas are often at war. Right? Uh, wait, can I say the N word yes. on this podcast? Yes, that, yeah. Okay, tight. Nig- yeah, them niggas often don't like each other. Okay. Um, let's see. Um, I think, okay, you know, I say, I say this um, like, having just smoked, but I've I've been appreciative for like the break from like intoxicants, Mm. honestly, that I think just a lot of the moment like of like what Minneapolis was um, in the weeks, in the weeks following George Floyd's murder, um, really didn't feel like a time to like, just be like nice and high. (laughs) You know? Um, And I love weed. Um, But I've been, yeah, I've been grateful to like, sort of like have a break from it or at least to slow down from it a lot. And that's also felt like part of uh, care for me right now is like uh, not using this thing that normally is sometimes about creativity or even about the body for me, not allowing it to like have that sort of spirit numbing effect that I think sometimes it can have mm. um, and really not wanting to be numb to the moment. Mm. Um, I think that's been a way I've taken care of myself um, <laughs> is just sort of like being like, okay, like, you know, like even though the Corona nightcap often has felt like a good thing and, you know, there's this other plant that has like a lot of great medicinal stuff and also, you know, um, is good for your spirit, good for your art. It just hasn't really been a time for it right now um, for me, uh, because I think part of treating myself well has also been um, 
a certain kind of plugged in that's not always too plugged in. And I think for a while, like I wasn't giving myself any kind of reprieve. If I wasn't doing something physically, then I was like in these tweets and like it just absorbing all this information about what was, and that felt important too. It was, it, it popped off everywhere, yeah. you know, yeah. from here to Idaho. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Shit, there were, there were three marches in Alaska is the thing I always say. Mm-hmm. Three, yeah, exactly. <laughs> three, three. You know, um, they went home and then went back. <laughs> Yo, new, in Alaska. new sign. <laughs> Yo, I knew Juno was a black man. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, but but no, but um, you know. So I think part of it for me has just been like, okay, like don't allow yourself um, to do what has also felt like a care response in other times of personal or national turmoil or communal turmoil, which has been to numb out and to unplug in an unhealthy way. Um, yeah. In a way that has felt useful. I won't always, I won't always call it unhealthy. Um, but yeah, so I guess like trying to avoid um, what can sometimes be my unhealthy tactics against myself. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot easier, I think, now because I don't know if it's the stars. I know we're in like some type of weird like eclipse tunnel right now astrologically. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody said that it's the sky is sort of the same sky that 1968 fell under, um, that the end of apartheid fell under. Like, you know, it's like we're in the times when the stars tell us to revolt um, both personally and um, as a people. And so it's felt like an easier time um, while like there is so much reckoning going on all over the place to really reckon with myself for my own habits and like set new ones um, and to look up at my life and the way it's changed over the last year and really embrace it and become more um, in tune with it in those changes. I don't know. Maybe I'm like thinking about gardens too much, but I'm like, yeah, like the things that needed to grow in from last year have come back. And also there's these new things we put in the ground that are starting to spring forward and need their attention. You can never think about gardens too much. The perennials have emerged. They're so perfect. <laughs> Yo, the perennials have emerged. We got the new ones coming, you know, like everything's going. Yeah, this is all. I think this is what life is. It's just like you do whatever you do, and then eventually you start a garden. Yeah, <laughs> yeah your young adulthood and adult is just all mm-hmm. the time until the garden grows. Yeah, <laughs> then you get a garden. So yeah. <laughs> I want to I want to stay in the moment and, and just set a little context for those who don't know. We alluded to it, but Denez, you and I work together on verses. This podcast from the Poetry Foundation. We've gotten to know each other over the last four years, and you live in Minneapolis and grew up in Minneapolis. I know you know that. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> and as is often the case in these moments of uprising, when I'm trying to figure out what's going on, I've been so grateful to have relationships with people in these different places who I can trust to really share a wider array and a more true array of information about what's happening. So, you know, just over the last two weeks, first off, thank you for being a source of information and guidance and experience that I think, you know, as you said, there's nowhere that hasn't been touched by this uprising, but so many people, myself included, have been looking to the work of you and the people you're in community with to understand, like, what is this, what does this new moment look like and what what's the, the potential of it? Um, so thank you for doing that work and sharing it and being public in it. Obviously, a shit ton has happened. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and I don't want to skip over the the painful parts. And there's room for that in this conversation as needed. But so much of what I've seen from you is the joy of new possibility and new formations being formed in real time. Um, what have you seen in the last two weeks that you never thought you'd see? Hmm. 
Yeah, I I think the the first one that comes to mind is just uh, when the city council, who uh, who the city council of Minneapolis is, has a large um, and inspiring uh, league of uh, and you know complicated. You know, they're politicians at the end of the day. We don't always agree with whoever, but uh, we got four black folks onto the city council last time queer, black, trans, black folks. Um, and, you know, uh, a cis homie too. Um, <laughs> for good measure. <laughs> uh, for good measure, for good measure. Jeremiah is a good one. I like Jeremiah. <laughs> um, you know, that when them and the other city customers just really started saying things about abolition and like, the and they're the people with the power and then that one day they actually said it in the official way. They're like, we intend to defund these police. And it was like, huh? Uh-uh. So, um, you never think it'll happen, yeah. right? I think like we often write poems about uprising or even speculative poems about like what it means to like you know be beyond these things or to imagine the world without them. And then it like happened. I was like in Minneapolis, like you know, in the place that like y'all pretend that we don't exist, um, mm. uh, and yet still find a way to kill it, right? Um, I didn't know if I would see it, right? I think there is this thing I've been having to confront with myself about what it didn't mean to like not have actual hope in change, um, right? <laughs> like it is so complicated to say, I thought I'd never see it, but that's what you've been arguing for this whole time. So like, that's a lot of record. I'm like, did I actually not believe that change was possible, right? Did I maybe too early like get to where I think like a lot of our elders get where like, this is a thing I'm fighting for for the future generations, right? So to actually... You know, know that that is um, a dream that has been passed down and augmented through gen- literal generations, right? And to hear that actually come out of like some official mouths, <laughs> like <Yeah>. what? Yeah. <laughs> um, I both thought I'd never see the day, and I'm and I'm mad at myself <laughs> uh, for for not believing that I'd see the day or reckoning with, with, with what that meant. Um, I didn't think that uh, I'd be. Writing letters against the Poetry Foundation. Um, like <laughs> you know, yeah. but we saw the day, um, and and you know, others saw that day needing to come for a long time, right? So, uh, like, I'm not gonna act like, and we can dive into a little more. Context, I just so, I assumed uh, my grandchildren's grandchildren would be writing poems, right? <laughs> but it's yeah. the, Poetry <laughs> Foundation. the Poetry Foundation, <laughs> um, right? But you know, like, um, we think about uh, first like Yi and um, J Dot, just. A a lot of other writers um, who have just been pointing out um, problems with the Poetry Foundation for for much longer than um, some of us who have, were the signees, the original signees of that letter uh, from Ruth Lee folks and other collaborators that have went out as a petition to sign. I have had a long, complicated relationship with the Poetry Foundation, one that was based on a lot of like real relationships and partnership and also like money. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> you know, um, I think, you know, their original response to their need to like do something beyond just tweet out Black poets was abysmal. And that I think was made Maybe, you know, at a time. I think a lot of folks are fed up, right? <laughs> so it's just like, actually, Poetry Foundation, we've had your number for a while. <laughs> like, and should have gave you a ring. And so now we're calling. And so to see them actually, like, make some steps towards some demands and 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 both some of some of the demanded steps and, and some other truly great steps um, that I think, you know, are great stepping stones towards seeing um, a big move in how we even ask uh, these foundations that claim to be um, about this revolutionary art practice, but ain't got to be on their revolutionary shit, right. right? And I think a lot of us are reckoning with ourselves to really say, okay, if I'm really saying that my work is going to be a part of the work, how am I making sure that those things truly align? Yeah. And I didn't think I'd see that day, you know? Um, and also, like, I, like, didn't think I'd see 
other my mom like becoming a little like yeah. activist lady, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. She's out here protesting and at the mutual aids and stuff like that. And mm. just um to hear her, who I think um has always sort of had a type of spirit in her that has leaned towards that, but to see her get active in a way I've never seen in my entire life, um, is really inspiring. And like her calling out her friends and other family, being like, girl, you better, you know, <laughs> we need to be out here. We just can't be talk about it unfound. Um <laughs> Yeah, it's just like <laughs> it's 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 incredible, like yeah. to just see everybody just push left. You know, even folks who would consider themselves um, in that direction, uh, just to see everybody, yeah, just have to lean more into. Even I think about my Christian mother, right? Like it's become such a passive thing sometimes. But we, when we talk about Jesus, we talk about a revolutionary figure, and to see her lean more towards like you know what that embodiment of like what it means to like uh be christ-like yeah. um means to flip a table sometimes yeah and to see it not fading hopefully mm-hmm. right yeah. um that like even if it feels like you, your timeline right has or that maybe you know we know how the media works they like become revolved in a new story for the week people haven't gone inside you know right. and that's important and we must yeah. continue to talk about that and it feels like it's yeah there's something different about this time I don't know what it is yeah. maybe it's the stars yeah. for sure so marvelous so glorious um, yeah I'm I'm overwhelmed you know I'm still trying to get back in the flow of like doing this and trying to bring all that's in the world into a container for a conversation and like into a question but I'm just like just sitting here listening to what your experience connects you to right now. I'm just overwhelmed, right? Like, m- I'm so proud of the people of Minneapolis as the, the epicenter or as the, 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 the vanguard or the front of the line of uprising right now. But then also how that push towards abolition immediately makes us look at every institution, right? So what's going on mm-hmm. in the Poetry mm-hmm. Foundation needs to happen in every building, in every downtown, in every city. Um, and then just going into, spir- I'm, I'm kind of just recapping what you're just saying <laughs> right now. And then going into the, you know, the spiritual transformation that's really necessary for all of these dots to connect. I, I want to go back to the to how how this became possible because as somebody who has literally thought about abolition every day for however many years now, it was always this long off thing, and like y'all kicked our ass, right? Like we have to switch it all up right now. Um, <laughs> we, one, we're we're a little naked, right? Like honestly, we're not prepared for the whole mm. world to be saying defund the police and like let's do it right now. Mm. Uh, but mm. we have to like stand up to that responsibility. But outside of just knowing that black rebellion is righteous and fuck the police existentially, right? Like I don't understand. <laughs> I I don't I don't be on Twitter, so I literally don't understand how we got here. I just know it's marvelous and magical, and like now we have to work. But how the fuck did, like, <laughs> like wh- what about the space? There has to be something spatially. I hear you saying that there are there are black trans and marginalized and nonconforming people in power. How fucking big is city council out there? Right, like we got this bullshit in mm-hmm. Chicago. That's I'm I'm trying to get to a question is what this rambling is about. Yeah. We got this Alcatraz of this anti-democracy here um, and a mayor who's standing up and being pro-police in this time. Um, so yeah, how the fuck did we get here? This is this is magic. Yeah, what what was yeah. what was in Minneapolis that 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 opened this door? I think it's 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 a compounding, right? It's not just this particular situation, but it is like how the movement has learned over years how 
uh, the people have felt over years, right? They compounded to that single moment, right? And so like, so like technical things, like, okay, for like city council, nine folks were there that day to like unanimously vote. And that wasn't everybody. If you get the right folks in power, and I think that is what has happened over time when we really saw a switch um, with this last election, like, the bodies were there. And I think we're talking about a fairly blue city um, and like a truly blue city. Um, there is there is no like Republicans <laughs> here um, or like not loud enough uh, to actually do something or not populous enough that is in our burbs and stuff like that. So I think if it was going to happen, it was going to happen in Minneapolis. Um, and that's also because of how shitty the police are here too. Um, when we're talking about a city with a large black Latino um, indigenous and um, East African population that are all treated like shit by the police. You know, there's long histories of like, of in recent histories um, of how we've interacted with the police in the city from the murders of Jamar Clark um, to Philando Castillo from St. Paul killed in Falcon Heights, which is a near suburb. You know, we uh, just had that case a couple years ago where the Somali cop had killed that white woman. Right. Um, and so I think the police were already kind of pokeable in a way. And because of how people feel about them, like Bob Crow it's just we he know he's a white. That's our uh, our, our police federation president. Uh, we know he's a racist. Like that, like that's like a thing you know. Right. Um, and <laughs> just like oh, you from Minneapolis? Where you you, you can get a good sandwich down uh, there. And Bob Crow's a racist. Yeah, <laughs> Crow's racist. Yeah, you know, exactly. Some hidden you know, gems. You, you know. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to Minneapolis, home of the Juicy Lucy and that racist Bob Crow. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> uh, go Vikes. Um, and. and uh, I think it was it, it was a long history, right? I think there's a lot of movement leaders here who learned a lot, um, both you know in the occupation of the fourth precinct um, after Jamar Clark's murder, um, who learned a lot from um, being in solidarity with folks out of Standing Rock. We're the closest major city to Standing Rock, mm. um, so there was a lot of information sharing there. Mm. You know, that's not me. I'm talking about folks who have been in this yeah, work, right, you know, right. long and hard. Um, and there's also been a lot of Black folks thinking about our relationships with police and just Black liberation here for a long time. Time. Um, we larger context stuff. I mean, you think about Minneapolis um, and St. Paul. I like to think about them as one body having this long history that really starts whenever Black people got here, and sometime in the 1800s, um, and is really sort of set off by um, an ultimate fissure when they built the freeway here um, in the 1940s and destroyed the Black community, which is what made Minneapolis's North Side Black because all the Black people who lived in Rondo and St. Paul had to go somewhere. Um, so either they moved to the side of the freeway or they, or they boomed over to Minneapolis. So this city has always been pushing us somewhere. And I, I don't know, eventually it pushed us into positions of power and some stuff started happening. Yeah. There was just like kind of the right mixes of like a youth-led energy here, right? I'm so proud of all the young Black and, um, and Somali East African mm. um, and like all of folks of color and white ally folks. Like youth did this, right? Like you need the, that youth energy out there and as we see in any movement throughout time. Um, and that mixed with, you know, some of the older folks and elders and, you know, like sort of folks in their 20s and 30s who have been organizing, sort of learning for some of these more recent histories that have gone on and moved through and been alliance with Minneapolis. And so, um, but that is all to say, I'm still surprised, <laughs> you know? Um, and I'm interested to see how this conversation is really going to go, right? Because as we know, like politicians also uh, sometimes be like, well, I said that, but I didn't say that. Um, or I said right, that, so, but it meant, meant something completely it meant, different. Yeah, yeah, it meant something different. Um, Somehow defund means more funding. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. It means it will take a little away, right? Um, you know, they don't get that that their bonuses this year, like mm-hmm. or some shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll see what that continues to mean, right? Um, that's our city council talking, and I believe in them, but our mayor isn't using the same talk. Um, our governor is not using the same talk. So we will see um, what it means. And I'm, I'm, you know, interested in how we'll learn from places that have thought, imagined themselves as beyond police. And I don't, I don't know, I have hope for Minneapolis, but I gotta, you know, say that like, it'd be interesting to see what a police-less Minneapolis looks like in a police Minnesota. Um, <laughs> so yeah. I'm interested to see how those bodies will interact if if we see that day. Well, and that's where the um, like historical and, and global analogs come in handy, right? Because there are places that have these autonomous zones that are outside mm-hmm. of the the realm of that militarization, but are within, you know, like there's a town mm-hmm. in central Spain or the Zapatistas where like communities living within a larger body that have certain structures that they've rejected and trying to mm-hmm. figure out those balances and how to navigate that. Like, Damon, I think you said on the last episode, like, we actually don't need that many new ideas. <laughs> we need to go back yeah. to the things that people come up with before and refine mm-hmm. and change for this moment. But like, we have a lot of examples and a lot of ideas and a lot of information. And people have been, like we said, thinking about this for generations and implementing these things and trying them. And so, you know, it's maybe a different scale of that experiment, but we got some case studies and, and some shit. Yeah, I'm excited to see how we learn from the two. It's just, I, I, it was just still surprised because I just still grew up here. And so yeah. I'm just like, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> this is very exciting, but I know these whites personally. I see you. Um, yeah, you know, you know you're white. You know, you know the whites of your city. You're like, hmm. Yeah. I'm, they're going to call someone. <laughs> Who are they going to call? <laughs> Who are they yeah. going to call? Yeah. So th- but also, I've met a lot of my white neighbors, and they be using words like abolition, and I'm like, oh. Mm, so, yeah. So, okay. so there's something unique in, in Minneapolis. You know, you, you use the, the the blue analog, and we have a real like purpley magenta blue over here of like mm-hmm. a lot of our Democrats yeah. are actually doing Republican things. But also just really naming that history that I think we could pull of like all of these black urban spaces have this same structural relationship to space mm-hmm. and travel and road and highway and freeway and displacement, right? And like we could kind of connect all of those dots to that same project that was happening on a national scale. Uh, so that's a lesson that I'm taking. I really want to get into like out of the city council and how exciting that is to like your perspective of rebellion uprising how it sparked what are some of the new lessons that are coming up in this iteration and then that flow into how the artistic community has stepped in where their organizing skills have been you know where the creative radical imagination has like helped to propel so let's take a step back damon is discombobulated and still getting his shit together so the question the <laughs> you have a very legitimate excuse <laughs> yes. for the record <laughs> so, no one's so, gonna be like what a poor podcaster <laughs> so the question is let's get to rebellion right like the, yeah. the city council would not have said those things if people weren't in the streets if shit did not burn down uh what is your truth of how that came about you know i think uh I learned a lot about myself in those days Um, because I was like, I was, you know, I was at a lot of the actions the first couple of days. And then um, I think a lot of my attention moved towards the mutual aid because of what was going on at some of that stuff. Um, That, that I, I, I really realized that like, okay, like my sort of what I believe in doesn't necessarily have to be my role. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, 
when the third precinct broke uh, burned down, I was like, word, that's tight. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, and when the Target burned down, I was like, okay, cool. Um, you know, uh, screw capitalism. And then it hurt me. Well, when that sort of, I think it got it got confusing about what was um, sort of like the righteous revolt of the people and like what was the work of these other avatars, right? Because like when yeah. uh, that turned into fires in North Minneapolis where there weren't protests, um, but like the burning of like these businesses owned and serving Black people, right? That's where we started to recognize that like, you know, there was these also like these white supremacists in or out of uniform who were also like using this time to fuck with the people. And so I guess it was just like, whoa, like when did this invitation go out? Uh, <laughs> or is this just like, you know, this is just white supremacy's response. And so that made me look at some of like the like revolting and looting and fires that normally I I don't think I care about or I see I see as a human response to this stuff uh, when it started to inch too close to homes, you know, sometimes. Like, there were a lot of, like, business centers that were burned. And I was like, okay. But then, like, even just, like, there was one particular Walgreens that I'm like, yo, that Walgreens is surrounded by nothing but homes. Mm. Um, And that makes me feel a little bit differently (laughs) when I think about... um, And I realized, like, there was a limit. Even me, who, like, you know, has, like, summoned the fire through these poems and stuff like that. I was like, whoa, okay. How do I really feel about this? Yeah. Yeah, like right. if anti-capitalist, you know, anti-police uprising really means fuck it all up. Like, do I mean that? Like, you know, uh, this is actually um, hot fire. Like, this is a, this yeah, literally hot fire. You it's know, not about the like, bars are hot fire. This is a hot yeah. fire. Really, really, this warm. is a hot fire. Yeah. This is a hot like, <laughs> like that. No, it's and it's like it's burned. Like you know, you got, like I tell everybody like everybody's got to drive through that mess if you're in Minneapolis. Like it's it's gone, y'all. <laughs> like like yeah. it's and it's it's incredible to see. Um, I really felt my own limits pushing, and I realized that my night, my response after a week, I wasn't bringing my body to like you know out at night to like sort of go against the national guard. I was like working in a shelter, um, and like putting my body towards mutual aid. And I think maybe that's just like where I felt like I could fit in, right? I think uh, one of the biggest, uh, I think it was, it was a it was a hot tweet. Uh, I remember my homegirl Angel Nafis retweeted it and said so I'm trying to remember who said the original thing I don't remember but it said find your lane and do it well right and like that's your role in the revolution right Um, and so like yeah that's where I found myself right so like and I still I've been back to actions and stuff like that you know um in the meantime, and I realized like my response was like, okay, like to both care for people and also like, you know, defend our communities at night um, in some ways that I'm not gonna get into. But, you know, it's like to patrol or like, you know, not, but I hate the word patrol. Uh, but yeah, to defend and watch out for our communities like in the nighttime um, and to like, you know, like, feed feed and care for our folks in the daytime. I felt myself withdraw from like some of that other energy. I was like, okay, like I see it. I see its usefulness. I'm in partnership with y'all. And also I'm going to do this work over here. Well, nurturing is a really, and care is part of what the fight is for, right? Is for the yeah, ability yeah. for people to be able to take care of each other. Like that's kind of the central argument <laughs> is like, we are able to take care of each other if we have what we need to do that. That's right. part of the work too. Um, in that spirit, one of the things that I saw you share was some of the ways that neighborhoods met in parks to plan out, you know, how do we take care of each other? Um, and as mm. much or as little as you can share, not even necessarily about the specifics, but what types of new relationships with the people living around you emerged? And how did that shift how you, how you saw yourself in relation to your community? 
Yeah. Um, I think it was really beautiful at first and then got really complicated. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of those neighborhood watch groups were formed after the city started burning. And so, yeah, so there was a pretty um, big response and really decentralized response because several neighborhoods would also have several groups um, over time of just like folks like wanting to like reach out and find each other's backs. I think some of those happen more naturally um, in places that are more populated by houses that mm-hmm. people like sort of know each other in. Um, it was really interesting in my neighborhood just because it's really just apartments around here. I don't know about y'all, but apartments have like always kind of like uninvited the idea of a neighbor yeah, to me sure. sometimes. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's like, um, no, we're just in storage units next to each other. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Like, Human storage uh, units. So it was like, you know, I know like all the folks in my building now and that's cool. Um, <laughs> and um, it did create like a good sense of neighborhood. And like, it was important, I think for me in that space, in those spaces to always sort of center that we weren't trying to replicate what the police were doing. Yeah. Um, right. That this, this had all be like sort of risen out of a moment where we were really trying to intentionally question our relationship with the police and trouble it and end it. Um, so yeah, it was, Easy until it wasn't. Um, <laughs> I found myself withdrawn just because I think it did get to that point again. Yeah. Um, without right the right training and leadership, you just saw folks trying to be the popo um, and really just being overly suspicious of everything. And there was, it wasn't actually like a healthy response, I think. Like our thing was like, we're really trying to look out for danger and we're not trying to make a criminal out of any person that we see walking out of our house, like outside on the street past curfew. Uh, Cause that is literally what the police would do. Right. right? Or what the police ask of us is to be suspicious of anyone um, not knowing what they might be up to. Right. Cause there were still protesters and, you know, non white supremacists that were burning down shits. People who were uh, out and about at night uh, when we were under curfew for that week. So yeah. And a lot of folks just weren't willing to like, get that MO. It was lovely to see people, uh, you know, being reverse uh, racial profiling everybody, right? (laughs) Of anybody who was white or appeared to be white. Uh, (laughs) um, But yeah, but it was just like, it was a a balance between like, okay, like, yeah, I don't know. It got got weird. It got white. (laughs) There's a really interesting lesson in there that is something that Miriam Kaba said a lot. And I've seen a lot of people share, which is that we're not just calling for the end of police, we're calling for the end of policing, right? And there are mm-hmm. all kinds of ways that the logics of and the violences of policing play out in different institutions and interpersonally and communally, that like punitive responses to harm or potential harm are what we're fighting against here. It's not just one department, it's a logic, it's a way of moving through the world, it's an ideology. And yeah, if you don't, in the planning of the next thing, account for that, you're just going to replicate those systems. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so so much of the beginning of where these lessons come from, and not having seen a lot of the images, it still feels so familiar, and like just a continuation of of what was sparked in, in the flames of Ferguson. Um, and so mm-hmm. when when I hear talking about um, some of the drain on the body and on you know just like the collective spirit, but also this like counterbalance of beautiful relationship building and and human connectivity and solidarity and mutual aid and just you know the more radical push in relationship to the state and to policing, I, I connect that to that experience maybe because it was so personally transformative for me and I was able to get like some intimate relationship to it. Uh, but for y'all on the ground, was there a lot of active connection from Ferguson, either like historically in terms of knowledge or people and experience, because it f- it felt like 
okay, we are all now looking at Minneapolis in the same way Ferguson became this hashtag emblem for rebellion, you know, six years ago. What what were the connections for you between the two spaces? Um, You know, I wish I could speak more intelligently to those connections and I've been doing the work. I wasn't in Minneapolis around the time of Ferguson, so I'm not sure how tied folks or like who exactly was tied into that work. I think Ferguson was a learning lesson for all uh, young, young folks in particular, in movement spaces, right? Um, I think we we all saw Ferguson as you know, started Black Lives Matter, right? Um, that is sort of what we see where we start to track it um, in terms of at least being like a phrase that was like spoken up by people. I don't know. I don't know what the connection between Minneapolis and Ferguson was beyond what um, what I think everything since 2014 has lived in the shadow of Ferguson. Yeah, for a lot of us, it, it's where. Uh, maybe the moment of this kind of plugging in really started or where we can chart sort of what if we want to talk about a louder troubling of the relationships between Black people and the police. Yeah, in the last decade, it starts with Ferguson, right? Ferguson changes the game. And there's been six years of continuous organizing and movement work since mm-hmm. then, like pretty much mm-hmm. like that's a solid chunk of public visible organizing coming out mm-hmm. of that that leads mm-hmm. to this. Yeah. Yeah, um, and a lot of you know a lot of the orgs that uh, exist here in Minneapolis were, were going on before Ferguson, right? That's not to say that they haven't learned from them, but um, people have been thinking about different dreams of abolition and reform and stuff like that for many years. And so, I don't know. I I I, I too feel like uh, maybe even just like artistically uh, that Ferguson was like a big moment for me too. So I just feel like I'm always sort of thinking about um, what happened in Ferguson. Um, what happened after, quote unquote, after Ferguson, or what happens in Ferguson. Um, and also like, you know, both the narrative that like, um, I think we we know about like sort of this uprising that also leads to a lot of harm for some of those organizers and also knowing that there's a lot of continued work in, or- in Ferguson, right? That they just elected their first black mayor. That as much as we like mourn and, and like really question what happened to um, a lot of Ferguson organizers, right, who were murdered after after the uprising, that there's still a lot of folks on the ground, right? And that is a maybe a narrative that um, was too easy to accept, right, um, in order to warn against protesting in a certain type of way, right? This sort of fear that like if you do do something, that bad things will happen to you. Um, not that bad things, horrible things happen to organizers in Ferguson, but also a lot of folks also are still there, are still dreaming and working um, to continue justice in that place. And I think that's what we also, maybe what I'm learning from Ferguson in that way is that, you know, this like sort of abolitionist step in Minneapolis um, that started an uprising, right, does not also end or like continue to be uprising, right? Or that uprising is a long dream, right? And that is not just sort of about the spark and the moment that sort of happens at first, but rather how you use that as a catalyst to really imagine long-term change. And so really trying to, I think, stay centered in that, that is not just about the event, um, but how that event changes everything. Yeah. Can we talk about poems a little? Yeah. One, just first off, have you been writing anything in the last two weeks? Not really. I wrote uh, an essay um, that ended up coming out in the um, in the New Yorker. I mean, essays for me are just like poems because uh, I don't know how to write essays, and so I just <laughs> be making poems and just <laughs> in paragraphs. Poems with uh, more regular punctuation. Yeah, you know, you know. Sometimes there's no birds, you know. Um, <laughs> Still a couple gardens, but no yeah, birds. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, and always the moon. I'm gonna say the moon. Um, but yeah, so I wrote that essay, and that was the first time I felt clear enough to write because mm-hmm. I had been 
uh, kind of just like taking notes on my phone because I knew I couldn't write anything. But I was just like, if something happened that I wanted to remember, I would really just sort of jot down yeah. enough to sort of be like, when you do have space to write this, you you can't forget this. Mm. And then have I written anything else since then? Um, no, but I feel like my email game has like gotten more <laughs> eloquent and like I'm sending very beautiful texts. Um you know, and so, yeah, so I think the writing, if that is a kind of writing, you know, I think um, I did feel like all of a sudden, like, you know, I was writing like letters to my husband in the Civil War uh, <laughs> you know, that are all beautiful. And I just felt like I just started texting people. Oh, you know, that's like, so funny. My yeah, dearest, my on the dearest front lines of Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious. Um, Please bring me news from San Francisco's front. <laughs> San Francisco, what the, I don't know what I said. All right. um, so this is why I'm a poet, because sometimes it don't make sense. You do it uh, but yeah, but not a lot of writing. Mm. But I think there will be. And I think not poems at first. Like I have a couple more essays that I think I want to write because those feel uh, use, more useful right now. To me, I'm not saying that poems aren't useful, but I think poems, at least where I find myself now, um, their utility takes a little bit more stillness for me to get to. And I don't feel still enough right now um, to sort of listen for poems in a particular kind of way. Hmm. Whereas like essays like are sometimes just about like information, you know, yeah. in a way it's just like, I need you to know this. Um, and I and I think and I think my artistic brain can do that right now, but it can't always like find the the images and the metaphors and the sort of like moments that help tie it up to like something either beautiful or strange um, in the way that I think poetry does in my brain. So I can't do that work right now. Mm. Um, yeah, hmm. maybe soon. That's really interesting that just the, the the little bit of more room and space that that's needed for that connection there. Um, it's similar to how my brain will let me eat junk and snacks, but not real meals. <laughs> yeah, no. It's like, this is two Yo. totally different types of eating. My brain works mm-hmm. differently. I can feel it now. I, I, I get what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, as we talked about earlier, this has been a time of reckoning in so many different ways. Like even just personally, mm-hmm. I think across the board, a lot of people are confronting contradictions or reckon, trying to reconcile contradictions. And I know we've talked a little bit about, and you mentioned earlier on, some of the questions that have emerged for you in relation to either your craft or just the world of poetry. And, you know, what do what do we do with the, the rooms that we're in Um even beyond, we can talk about the Poetry Foundation stuff. I'm happy to. But beyond that, like, are there questions that you've been avoiding or not giving the space to that you can't hmm. uh, kind of compartmentalize anymore? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I mean, spinning out of the Poetry Foundation stuff, Philip B. Williams, um, a writer who I look up to a lot, released a, a letter about why he couldn't, he why he wasn't going to sign the petition um, and really doing a lot of reckoning with himself about, um, I think, what it means to find yourself in a position of power or in a place of power um, that you didn't expect to, never thought was for you, and particularly in about in relationship to the Poetry Foundation. And there were parts of Philip's letter that I really had to reckon with. There were other parts, you know, I, I did a Twitter thread about it if you want to go search for it, um, that, um, that I didn't agree with. Um, but I was really grateful for Philip's invitation to think about myself in a lot of ways. And I think part of, I guess, my own personal reckoning was just I I had to have just like a lot of realer conversations about 
um, who I am in the world of poetry hmm. and how that does privilege me and give me a, a lot of power that I think I pretend I don't, not pretend, but like I know who I was six years ago because I still am them in some, mm-hmm. a lot of ways. And, you know, six years ago, I, I didn't have no power in this poetry world. <laughs> you know, like I was still like yeah. showing up at, at the little journal's door being like, will you please take my little shitty poems? Um, I want to pull that now, out as, as a prompt a little bit. Yeah. I'm, I apologize. Uh, but no, but just the, the phrase, I had to reckon, I know who I am in poetry. Mm-hmm. I, I just want to hear you give more language to like name and define that. Uh, if that's comfortable yeah. or if that feels good for you. No, for real. Like I am Danette Smith and that is like a thing to say <laughs> in poetry nowadays. Yeah. And like, I don't try not to say that in like a way that comes off as cocky, but, but like, it's real. I, yeah, I am like three books in. Um, two of those books have won a lot of awards. I have sold a lot of books. Um, my name comes up a lot. Um, I have like won or been nominated for things that poets spend their whole lives trying to get um i think uh it is not unfair to say that i am probably one of the most like recognized poets yeah. in america yeah. right now and that's like uh, <laughs> and i and i hope you know and if i'm not thank god but like i think i am yeah. you know i think like you know i think like you know maybe not even top 10 but you know like i'm at least number 12 um, <laughs> you're in the proverbial so, espn list yeah. yeah, you know, like you gotta you gotta talk about me, right? And like and that is also like, you know, not to say that like I am like leaps and bounds better than anybody because actually it's not, right? Like my work has always been very tied and I've always I've talked about this in interviews and stuff that I've got before, but like the rise of my popularity is directly tied to the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement in America, right? And I understand how like sexy that was also for editors and like, you know, sort of tastemakers that exist in the game. I was writing uh, uh, very, you know, like urgently <laughs> about black people being murdered in this country. And here was this uh, young, queer, black, uh, you know, sort of funny, um, you know, funny, yeah. educated enough, had a personality, is like conventionally attractive sometimes. <laughs> um, right. Like person that like is very easy to like make into something. Right. And like, while I'm not trying to like say that like my poems are shit and I just got like king made or something like that. Like I understand, right. Like how sort of those two things rise in occasion to each other. And hmm. it's always felt complicated for me just to, to just know that and to also feel uncomfortable with like the way in which which people make the avatar of you, right? Mm-hmm, so, like, mm-hmm. I know that, like, um, that it was just easier to sort of maybe, like, say my name sometimes than it was to actually like, do your research about other emerging black writers. <laughs> um, right? Um, and that it's sort of, you know, like, easy. In, in the way people talk to each other, like, oh, like, I don't have any black people on my syllabus again for the 80th year in my teaching career. So what did they do for a lot of years? They added Claudia Rankin Citizen and maybe threw up you know, dinosaurs in the hood by right. Danette Smith into the into the class spot, right? That's hella complicated, okay, shitty, yeah. and those people need to do better. Um, and like at the end of the day, like you know, through some combination of like my hard work and my luck, um, and you know, like also these like more complicated, darker things. Um, here I am, Danette Smith, and I am one of America's top known poets um, in this current moment, right? Because I was young and knew how to use social media at a certain time because people found my work useful, thankfully, at a certain time. And that is a complicated thing. And it's not just like cute Nezzy trying to make it in the same way that it was six years ago, Mm -hmm. which is not a lot of time. The older you get, the more you realize that like six years ain't that much time. But my career 
is just night and day from where it was in that short amount of time ago. And I think it leads to a, you know, a question that I think is part of the reckoning that so many people are doing is even if they're not, you know, in the top 12, you know, in their respective worlds, it's this, I can't control or change how I got here. That's happened. The question is, what do I do with the seat that I hold? Right. And I, mm. I and I hope and I'm encouraged to feel like way more people are asking that question now than even two years ago or four years ago or six years ago in this conversation. There's this internalizing yeah. that I think I'm seeing from people who have never even been forced to ask that question, uh, not to mention mm. people who have been. Um, but that's like Damon said, like that's a microcosm of what needs to be happening everywhere, you know? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and people do need to ask that question. Honestly, I did ask myself that question. And I was like, oh, wait, girl, you always ask yourself this question. <laughs> <laughs> and like TBH, I was like, I'm doing okay. Yeah, like, yeah, you know, right. I was like, yes. um, that resonates. And, but, and, and could also do more, right? But I think there I is a sort of like stepping into myself that I can like even, you know, if I just stop pretending a little yep. bit, right? Like I can do more good than the good I'm already doing. Mm. And let me just act like I'm. I'm Danette Smith, yeah. um, you know, and then like, okay. And then like really be able to like open the door for like some good, yeah. right? <laughs> that Damon, you, we've been talking about some of this like similar response in, in that and for, for you too, of like, fuck, I'm going to, I'm going to just stand in, in the position I hold a little more. Yeah. I was depressed this whole six years to be ready for this right now. It's y'all turn <laughs> to be anxious and insecure. <laughs> I've been in the gym of this anxiety streets. Um, <laughs> and so now I feel really ready. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, some of it is, is like the physical and the, and the trauma and the, you know, there, there are some things that you kind of can't go back from, but yeah, I think there's also this, you, you named on like a literal cosmic level, but I think on the more like um, ancestral cosmic level, there's just this aligning that's happening right now. Um, and truth is just spilling out into the streets. And like, if you don't allow it to to take over your body, right? Like you've probably been out of line or, 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 or you're harmed, you're traumatized by the system. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, so, you know, I, I try to use the language of resistance training, of like a, mm -hmm. a you know the biomimicry of like the actual like resistance training we have to do to strengthen our bodies right like those of us who mm -hmm. have been building up the muscles of resistance i am mm -hmm. seeing a pride i'm seeing a comfort i'm seeing an endurance right now or stamina that's been built up and it, it all ties back to we have these collectives but we have to acknowledge that this system is about destroying the person as well um mm -hmm. and in order to like live in it particularly us as black liberatory facing people, right? Like we have to take up this space because not only is it cosmic, right? But something that uh, organizers said yesterday is we've been letting a lot of whack niggas take that space, right? By saying like, oh, let me hide. Let me, you know, perform this humility. Let me not be sure about the, because, you know, you didn't just work hard. You also have written some of the best poems of the last six years, right? And we need to like stand in that. Um, and so, yeah, I affirm you. It resonates for me. I, I've had a lot of like, identity and performance and space taking issue in the work that I, I do and like to stay in your lane, do it well. My lane takes up a lot of space and I have fear about that, but got to let that go. Like we don't have space in the book bag, the burden on our, our backs. We have to take that weight off in order to run in these streets right now. And so you better preach. Brother, <laughs> so yeah, it's coming from you. I, I, I yeah. Thank, thank you, Dave, for making the connection. Uh, Cause I feel it every day. I'm feeling just so excited and encouraged about that, right? Like not just about the press clippings and the policies and the budgets mm -hmm. we're about to change, uh, but the real work that I and the, the collect, you know, I, I use we as one of my pronouns, like the collective we uh, can do right now. So much dope shit 
is about to come, even though there's so much fucked up shit, but like so much dope shit is happening right now. Um, and yeah, we got to stand in this power. I'm just, I'm just excited. I'm, I'm grateful. Mm. Do you have any ideas tonight? And it's fine if you don't, but what standing in that power a little more looks like for either of you. I'm curious. Oh, I don't know. I think like, I, I've always known that like, I want to like, use whatever leverage I have to like create something, whether an institution um, or, you know, I think like I, like I am starting a fund <laughs> with a lot. I don't know what that means um, with like a lot of this like donation money I got. So maybe that's a step in the direction. That shit was wild. You got like $60,000 in individual donations. Oh, right? gee, like 70. That's crazy. People like 70,000. <laughs> and like, I'm and I'm flipping it into more for some orgs and like, yeah, like I'm really, so beautiful. cause what happened was, yeah, it was, it, I like just did the little call, right? Because I was like, I'll go get like food and supplies and toys. And I did get a lot of that. Um, but at a certain point, the city also just got really flush with donations, right? Mm. And like people were actually being like, please don't bring us any more diapers. If we get more diapers, like we're gonna like drown. Like these ba- these babies uh, are gonna have to start shitting more. <laughs> Look, <laughs> we really gotta make more babies. There's not enough food. They gotta eat more, diapers, something yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody get this baby some X lax so we can really go through these diapers. Just like for storage uh, purposes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, really. Um which is beautiful. Uh, and then I was like, okay, like I have a lot of money that can like um, be used to help folks that are doing this work in the long term, right? Because eventually the food drives and all that dry up. Yeah. And then I am left with, right, with like too much money. And because I'm trying not to be a douchebag and like just like move to Morocco with like, you know, all my like little 60 Gs. Or like taxes or whatever the fuck that is. <laughs> <Yeah>. Taxes. <laughs> Ta- oh, that I'm trying to, be... don't, yeah. Well, yeah. don't talk to me about that. I don't want to think about yeah. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna bleep the the word. Yeah, I apologize. No, <laughs> it's, it's just no, the fear real, I just, live with. No, no, it's a, it's a constant yeah. fear I live with. I feel like that's the jail I'm gonna end up in. We need to abolish p- prison before yeah. I end up in. Because <laughs> I really every year I be thinking about it. I be like, how long they lock up Lauren Hill? Because I really don't like the government. And yeah, so, <laughs> and that's how they, that's how they get you. That's. Like every thing you eventually got to pay them. That's, that's the, the thing. They get you, yeah. they get you with, and, and that's where it also comes from. Not to jump to, but like debtors' prison. Like those were the prisons in Europe. Yeah. At least like the it was people who didn't pay their debts. So, just mm. saying. But yeah, so I guess the, the the good though. Back to the question. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, just like helping like build stuff that like you know is like just beyond me and that will do good in the world for a while i don't know what that is yet particularly um i know it'll probably have something to do with black people probably to do with black folks in the midwest um maybe some stuff here so an artist you know i love like thinking about making a better world um for artists particularly in the arts where you kind of like just do it knowing that you're not gonna make that much money off of it right (laughs) uh (laughs) like if you want to be an actor you can also dream about being rich um (laughs) or (laughs) it might be very hard um but 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 that's the thing that happens for you yeah it's possible right um and like i just think about like okay like when you say you want to be a poet or like, a, I don't know, even maybe like a dancer, you're just being like, hey, I'm like down to be broke. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It just even being any type of artist, you're just like really making that jump um, just says that I am willing to maybe have a less comfy life in order to like be able to do this thing that I love and I make. And I think that risk always is always going to deserve some type of support. Yeah. 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 How about you, Dame? Anything come to mind in terms of what that standing in looks like? Oh. Well, I mean, what what is really meant in like internal space 
and I feel like is is about to is about to be projected out. It's really just like a a, a calling shit out thing, right? Like particularly in movement space, I, I have little like patience for for like selfishness and arrogance and projection um, and like a lack of collectivity. And similarly, right, like I'm getting on these panel type things, and like I hear people well intended. Uh, but ignorantly talking about reforms. Um, and there, there has mm-hmm. been a desire to be more like patient and accommodating and still be loving, right? Still have compassion, but just a firmer line of, you know, no, these motherfuckers are trying to kill us. Uh, what you're talking about is then bullshit and the support of people trying to kill us. You are on the side of the slave masters. And, you know, you can name that with, with some puns. You can you can be humorous. You, I can smile. Connected and be cute. to the moon. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Some moons and some gardens can come, but I'm I'm finna say that shit. Uh, and I felt like I was already doing that, but there are times in my body now where it's like, oh, I would have just kept this to myself. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that looks political. I think you know the the conversations around. You know, even the way that people are trying to uh, co-opt right now, right? Like co-optation happening in mm-hmm. real time, and so now defunding is trying to be pushed towards this like liberal thing that is separate from abolition. So now like the last three or four mm. conversations, people have asked me like, Hey, there are people talking about abolition. There are people talking about defunding. It's like, no, the abolitionist said, let's defund the police. And now it is becoming yeah. popularized and you can try to make that something else. It's something dope. So even if you do co-opt it and water it down, it's still ill, but this is from something else. And I'm not going to let you do that right now. I see how ill-equipped institutions make people for like the world building. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, at first I've had to have some respect for like, Oh, you've been in the poetry foundation board for however long. Right. Like, you know, you may seem ignorant or you may be an asshole, but there is some respect for you being in that space that I, you know, I don't want to mm-hmm. critique your work. Um, and now it's like, nah, fuck that. Um, so yeah, that, that's the one thing is like really calling shit out. Um, and then also I think, you know, to that point of artistry being a, a, an act of liberatory courage, right? Of saying, hey, I don't want to depend upon this system, right? I want to create, I want to create and live off value from my creation. I think I've hidden from that and like use collectivity mm-hmm. and use movement um, as a way to like not step through my own gaps in courage and so like that is also unacceptable for me right now uh and so figuring out what that means figuring out how to reconcile that up with the same thing i struggle with around like how to take up space uh but knowing that i have to take up some space and even if i don't i have to create and i have to produce and doing that with some public uh is is really the push for me mm-hmm. how about you you've, you've you've been doing some really dope shit too man um well i won't in that realm, let's stay in the collective. Denez, do you want to talk about the what just the document a little bit of the story of what happened with the Poetry Foundation? Together? Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> this is <laughs> like for the record, I feel very regardless of what happens next, and it's still not reconciled or closed, but I feel really proud of what happened uh, and what has happened because I think I it's of real substantive value and a really good model of what like Damon said needs to be happening in, in so many spaces. So I have my version of the story, but I've told it a lot. Denise, how do you, how do you tell your version of the story? Um, <laughs> and we can do it together. Uh, it doesn't have to be just you. Well, what's your version of the story? <laughs> fine, I, I haven't heard fine. <laughs> so, so basically poetry, we produced the show or I produced, uh, Denise co-host with Franny Choi, the show versus for the poetry foundation. We've been doing it for a while. And it's been a great project where we've had really amazing conversations with emerging poets from a, a range of backgrounds, sharing in mm-hmm. a really like beautiful way 
um, not just their work, but who they are. And we, we've made this space, I think, where people can really bring more of themselves into the conversation than happens in a lot of institutional arts work. Go subscribe right now. Comment. Do the stars and all the ratings and shit. Repost. I guess, or yeah, yeah. just wait two weeks to oh, see if oh, we wait. put out a oh, statement. Oh, no, we don't know. Yeah, yeah, wait. No, never mind. But fuck uh, the squad. But you can listen to past episodes. So the Poetry Foundation put out this statement uh, that was somehow a statement that said nothing like an incredibly weak and mostly what it said mm-hmm. was we don't care and we're trying to cover our asses without having any accountability um mm-hmm. so it was a like vague like we stand for justice and uh with our you know communities and you know we believe in the power of poetry to uplift people um, we have black is, friends right <laughs> they literally barely, they barely said that they which, basically said which was the work that they were doing before that yeah. which they were just being like no context here's a black person that once said a black thing in our pages and it was right. just like and then oh, people responded okay. to that being like you didn't ask for my permission to use this poem uh mm-hmm. right now in this moment as a way of responding so and people were already pissed at them because well because of everything but also because more <laughs> recently they had given um $25,000 which is the equivalent of my whole individual Ruth Lilly fellowship um to all of the covid response for artists right so like artists are literally like not making money many of us are off the road like you know just like are poor anyway who cares um, and they're just like, oh, yeah, here's a thing we get five of every summer to um, COVID relief for artists in, in Illinois, let alone anywhere nationally. And for those who don't know, they have like $200 million. That's $257 million in that endowment. So that's an important piece to know is like that's real money. Um, so there are places that gave $25,000 that didn't have a lot more than $25,000. They had a lot. They have a lot of money. So. And this is after years of kind of structural non-response to claims of uh, harm or professional abuse, stuff like that. So I saw the statement. I thought it was really weak. Um, I texted Denez and Franny. I was like, hey, can we get on the on, on the, the good old Zoom Zoom and talk about if there's anything that we can do with our position to, to push a little more? Um, so we talked the next day. By that point, the two of them had already been in conversation with a bunch of other poets who were thinking about how to respond. Um, and when we kind of built out a list of here are people with a unique position in relation to this institution. So collaborators like us, as well as people who had received this uh, Lilly Award um, and, and some other folks who had relationship to the institution but didn't work there. And Franny really took the lead in terms of getting everyone on a very long, very verbose email thread. Um, I was like I couldn't work. I couldn't. I was like I couldn't have worked with visual artists. At least then, just the emails would have been shorter. But um, over the next twenty-four hours, basically, there was a joint statement drafted between uh, a couple dozen brilliant poets and some disagreement and some pushback and some contradictions. But what emerged was a really, really strong set of demands and a naming of the harm, which I think was equally as important um, because demands are great, but it's also important to say why the scarcity that needs those things has been created and how that's been maintained. So the statement got sent in. uh, They responded in like four hours saying like, we hear you. Uh, We're going to go back and try to figure something out basically. And then since then, uh, the president of the foundation and the head of the board have stepped down um, and they put out a statement on Friday. So a week after we sent ours in um, responding with some really substantive commitments 
as well as some real clear, concrete, specific acknowledgement and apologies. So that's the story from where I sit is they were about to just skate and not do anything. And then the three of us and a bunch of other people brought our collective power together. And now they've had to do a whole bunch of shit that will continue in perpetuity, basically. Dinez, does that seem accurate? Uh, yeah, that does, yeah. <laughs> that, that was better than I would have done it. Um, yeah, I give you a 10. Um, Final, finally, a score from a poet all this time. I've been like, <laughs> um, I, I don't even know if I have much to add. I think um, the only thing I would add is that uh, some of this came right. Um, I think like even folks who work for the foundation or who have worked for the foundation have really been uh, announced a lot of the leadership issues for a while. Um, and so it's great to see in the statement that um, that there are folks that already are employed by the Poetry Foundation who might be just getting more opportunities to do the dope shit that they do. And maybe just like imagine like a, a, a different kind of foundation from here forward. And I think part of the ag- disagreement, um, it's interesting to see, right? Like we were talking earlier about how like the abolition energy sort of has to touch everything. Everything. Uh, part of the disagreement, right, was like folks sort of like uh, arguing between whether there needs to be a call, right, um, for reform or for abolition of a huge institution like that, um, to which people kind of come to different aims. And that's like a thing I guess I've been sitting with for a long time is like, I don't know, maybe, maybe that's a question I'm asking. Like, I guess like, what are what are the requirements for a thing to need to be abolished? Mm. I guess I've been like sitting with that, right? right. Like, um, like are there like <laughs> structures that like as long as like sort of we're living in like this ca- like right, capitalist stuff, right? Or maybe like you know part of abolition is like sort of the war crept towards like imagining like uh, abolition from capitalism, mm-hmm. um, which requires many all this stuff too, um, which requires the abolition of police and, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and prisons and all that. That was a question I really sat myself and I came out at different ways at different times about yeah. like you know like does the poetry foundation which to my knowledge has not like literally murdered somebody before <laughs> um like need to be abolished or like is that is that one of the joints where like i can like extend the reform hand mm-hmm. um and yeah. push for policing to be removed from the work they do right so right uh, well, not necessarily <laughs> yes. abolishing an institution and the work that they can do you're abolishing the carceral structures that operate and logics that operate in it yeah, um, yeah. I, th- I think that I think that's really clear. Is that like the carceral line of our bodies being confined, uh, our people being deprived? Is there direct physical, like sh- systemic harm? Uh, mm-hmm. Is like the line of like there's not a lot of nuance, you know. If there if there's cages and if there you know um, a lack of food or, or medicine or water, but I think the the push is then to transform existing institutions towards Mm -hmm. abolition right so like we can move it away from the poetry foundation i think a good kindred space um that's like a lot of these spaces have like 10 times the resources are colleges and universities right like if they were using Mm -hmm. all of their departments uh and all of their different funds and all of their endowments uh towards creating the resources that we want and making policing obsolete which is then what i think the long-term vision of a place like a a poetry foundation or any foundation um is that they are designed to contain and and maintain and sustain capital, right? Like, let's keep mm-hmm. the money to do whatever our thing is. Whatever our passion is, we are about the money of it. And that becoming an obsolete need and structure is my thinking mm-hmm. of how an a- how abolition should approach it, right? Of like, no, this does not need to burn down right now because it's not enslaving people, um, unless people are being enslaved, <laughs> you know, in some type of way in the basement of that shiny building. Um, 
Oh God! What a oh fuck! <laughs> oh. And I'm sorry, everybody I've met, I don't know the actual like douchebags that like piss people off. Everybody I've met has been nice, so I don't want to like make nice people feel bad. But like, I was just thinking, <laughs> I've never been to the basement. Of the <laughs> yeah, and it would be the basement of like some shiny ass basketball. <laughs> yeah. But I, I want to go back a little bit because because we give Daniel a ten for like the note the 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 structure of the narrative. But for you, I want to pull out some of the personal beats because uh, as he was telling me this story and if felt very marvelous and glorious um he admitted the obvious that like we need to say of you know one he is not black he is in fact actually mm-hmm. white um and he's not a poet per you know in, a, in any <laughs> public type of real way so you as you know we named what Denez smith is in poetry um and therefore mm-hmm. what you would be to the space of a poetry foundation um there may be a lot of people listening to this that need to do this at their institution where were the fears where were the points of courage where was the discernment where was the i'm you know i i know that there were other people's thoughts and pushback that may have made you question before you and yourself from go time to now time what are some of the personal beats and moments that really stand out for you i mean i don't know i think like i have like always i've had a just good relationship with the Poetry Foundation in general, right? Um, with folks on the foundation side, like Idami Noriega, Ita Blancas, um, and with folks on the, you know, I, li- I like the editors on the magazine side. There's good folks over there. Uh, granted, they are all white. <laughs> um, so so let me, that always come with a good white caveat that they are still white. Um, Just a and like a lot caveat. of white people, right? And like, yeah, and like a lot of white, like with that white caveat, right? Like, you know, like your good whites might be somebody else's bad whites, you know? Um, <laughs> you know, uh, they do not treat everybody the same way, right? Like um, Don Chair, who is somebody like I hold close personally, it, it does not, the, the opinion is not, you know, mutual <laughs> among some of my compatriots. Um, and I and I have to, and you make space for that, right? You make space to be like, okay, like this dude who has been like tight with me, like maybe has like been like, did you? You really say that to Chit Chit? You know, like, or well, it's in, that's on Twitter. Shit. Um, like, it's like, did you really say that to these poets? Did you really do that to them? And like, then you gotta, you know, recalibrate. Or, and so, or these people are rightfully triggered in different ways than I am, right? So you might have said the triggered, same right? thing. That's to what me. I mean. You're not, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and you make space for that, right? Because that is like that is part of that work too. Um, and so I think like in you know like part of the reckoning of the poetry foundation right there's a reckoning of my own relationships with them um there's a reckoning of just like how like this thing that may have maybe has been um a good in your life has actually done damage in the life of others right um mm-hmm. and that people feel like speaking out against them right would like draw like smoke from you or that like they feel like they're putting their careers in danger to like speak against the poetry foundation is to then like sort of x yourself out of this huge pot of money and influence not that i necessarily fear that right because i think that's why the people who signed that letter signed that letter because it was just sort of like i know you ain't gonna treat me like everybody else right and that is an acknowledgement of that privilege is that like hey poetry foundation if like franny Choi and denise smith and Paige lewis and kava akbar peace come to your door and say what's really good you might not get to run away from an answer right Right. um because i'm like actually like leveling the leverage that i have built with you in the relationship exactly you may not be able to function Um, literally 
Right. Like if all you're like, if all like the people that like you have like position to like represent your values, right? These people that you have put your money and your weight behind that you have agreed to partnerships with, right? Then turn around to you and say, what are you on? Um, you can't do that in the same way as somebody that you can cast as a stranger um, or that you can cast as some like outsider, right? No, we are inside the building asking what's really going on. Yeah. And so, you know, even my own personal beats was just like recognizing that like I do get to move um, in this space, in this moment, in this action, in this letter with a different type of swagger and privilege and security. You know, even if I'm talking about like giving up a, a, sw- a major source of income for me, which is the, our podcast, and yeah. we're like, you know, what part of our shit was like, hey, if these demands are met, we'll go. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and uh, we're not satisfied, we'll go. And that's guaranteed money for me, right? right. And so, like, yes, I'm like in, in, I am putting at risk some type of material gain, but I'm also levying that against this intense uh, sort of like clout privilege that I know that I own with them. Mm-hmm. And, and that I'm riding with all these other people that are like combined clout is like sort of like, we, we, we're what made you hot, right? Like it's if Biggie and like, if Biggie and Kim start coming for Bad Boy, yeah. right? Like, <laughs> like, like, you know, like, then did, like, yeah. like Bad Boy wasn't nothing yeah, without yeah, Biggie, yeah. right? Um, are you Biggie or a little Kim? <laughs> And it's Franny. Is Franny Biggie? I think Franny's Biggie. Franny is Biggie. <laughs> yeah. I'm Little Kim. Um, yeah. I think we know what our next promotional photo shoot is. Mate, uh, yeah, Mace is Nate Marshall. Uh, absolutely. Deeply. Yeah, Eve L. Ewing is uh, Mary J. Blige. Like, yeah. <laughs> just like I'm not dance. really here, yeah. but like yeah. I got the power. Yeah. <laughs> People just happen to refer to me as Queen. <laughs> yeah. That just happens. And I'm just over here doing something else. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not even signed here. (laughs) I come to all the reunion tours though. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, I hear what what you said I think is is the key. It's like the people who have the ability to be inside the building, then turning around and saying, What are you gonna do right now? That's where a huge piece of the power comes. And I think it's a huge, like, power and it's a huge complication of that narrative, right? Because I think the, like, just, like, um, the just critique of that then is, like, well, why y'all, like, take so long to get inside (laughs) the building and then turn around and say something, right? Like, you know, what is it about this moment? I think that's part of also, like, you know, a righteous critique and also part of, like, sort of, like, I'm not even asking for forgiveness, but but I know that, like, you do have to, like, let folks kind of be called in when they're called in. Yeah. yeah, I already said on Twitter, but like, you know, sorry it took so long. Glad to be here with you. Let's uh, <laughs> let's uh, rock some shit. <laughs> um, that's beautiful. Dan, you got anything else you want to cover before we get out of here? No, nothing for real. I'm just enjoying your time and just enchant it. So I don't have anything specific. We can wrap. Denez, you have anything you want to cover? No, I think I'm good. Cool. I'm so, going to go eat some tacos. Wait, I, 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 I do have one. La- like, so... Tacos are wait. Let, let's go back to the place, right? Of like Minneapolis... Uh, uh, being this spark to be flamboyant, mm-hmm. being like this mecca right now. I just want like one last reflection of like the look out, right? Because there are all these spaces looking in, and there are all these duplication, all these solidarity things that then become their own mm-hmm. city uprisings, right? Like mm-hmm. for you or for your community or for the people you're throwing down with, right? Like how has looking at the world follow the lead of your space? 
really felt or 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 come into focus for you? Because this is the most politically active time in human history, right? Like yeah. human beings, hundreds of thousands of years have never done what's happening right now. And if we have to trace it, it started in Minneapolis. Wow. Uh well, I don't know. I think I push back. I like always I'm always very skeptical to say that like it's the most maybe. Uh, is that true? In terms of like archaeology and anthropology and and political history, okay. yeah, like like yes. so for this continent, right, or the, the you know the fifty states is the continental, well, forty eight plus the two, you know, that has never yeah. happened. And then if you add up the, the the simultaneous solidarity actions, and then other places have already just been an uprising. And, yeah, just know, been there. Yeah, like that I think Chile, that's why I'm always hesitant Venezuela, with like stuff like that is because I'm you know, like <laughs> Hong Kong, you know, France, yeah. like the, the, you know, there's Yo, been Hong these, Kong, they they be messing it up. Yeah. I've watched. The, they, they little tactics, they little be water mm. and all that. They so, they, they tight. So bla- so um, blackness, black liberation, Black Lives Matter globally is taking a centerpiece, but it doesn't have to all be that. If we add up all of the political agency that is being activated right now, there is no fossil f- record <laughs> of it happening ever. I I, I I always push myself. I guess like I'm. I, I if that is true, I'm sorry for I being so to it, but like I like always slow down in those moments and like I guess think about like how long the time like you know so like it, but I guess it's because to think about it actually like makes me uncomfortable <laughs> why because then it actually feels like revolution and not a moment mm. and I, I'm, maybe it's not uncomfortable but it is just sort of like this like, like sort of excited uneasiness yeah. Yeah. to be like oh sh- this is the real change girl <laughs> like this is you know <laughs> um, or like that like Maybe, you know, if change is this incremental thing that maybe the needle will move a little bit further than it normally does as it inches along. Um, and yeah, to look out on the rest of the world, right? Like, I think I feel like an intense like love for like how Black people like love each other like so fully in abstract, <laughs> like to like just sort of like get on the ground for each other, right? And I felt that before, like when I've lived in, you know, whatever city I was living in, in Wisconsin or Minnesota or California, and like was like in the streets for something that happened in a place where like I could not drive to, you know, easily, uh, you know. <laughs> um, and you do, you know, like solidarity, like when it really feels like palpable and true is like such a powerful thing to feel. So, like, see a city flooded and like saying the name of someone who lived down the street from you right and like the, and like I'm watching that I'm watching DC from here and I'm also worried about DC from here right cuz then I like feel you know while I have a lot of like hope in my city I think it's easier for me to have hope in my city than it is for me to have hope in my nation mm-hmm. and to like you know feel like you know I like hope that like you know stuff changes in Chicago, that stuff changes in um, Atlanta, that stuff changes in Philly, in New York. But I know all of us on a local level are like have have different histories and different conversations and different roadblocks. So like actually being able to like really have the same conversations that maybe we're having here in Minnesota, Minnesota in a different way. Yeah, so I think it's it's just strange to like also know that like maybe there's a different conversation we're having here that might feel lonely mm. for a little bit mm. Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah. um yeah and hopefully you know multiplies and becomes an example for other cities to like really start to invite these conversations in cities that need it desperately it's it's, it's it is this oscillation of like like intense like pride and love and worry and hope for for all the different places as well yeah shout out to prince <laughs> Shout out to Prince. Yo, they they announced that they announced their intent to defund the police on his birthday. I was about to say, do you think if Prince was born somewhere else, there would still be police in Minneapolis? Uh yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's I think, thing. you know, that's Prince a legacy. Is a good, yeah. I, he's a good icon to have here, you know? Like, everybody has seen that little short man's beige butt cheeks. And that, <laughs> like, you know, makes everybody in Minneapolis, you know, maybe a little queer, maybe a little bit more, you know, like, if you look at those cheeks and you're like, Black Lives Do Matter. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Last question. Uh, how can folks who are listening support either your or the the work you're involved in directly? Um, and second part of it, what's something that you're doing, uh, if not every day, close every day, that's helping you be more okay in this time? Okay. Um, so folks want to help me. You don't have to. If you want to, um, you can send money to my Venmo, which <laughs> I can't believe I'm doing this on a podcast, which is at uh, uh, Denez, D-A-N-E-Z dash Smith, S-M-I-T-H. Um, and my Venmo is just like a nonprofit right now. Um, <laughs> and so that money goes um, is going to supplies where needed. And, uh, you know, different organizations that are doing like long term sort of like food justice or like wage justice or upcoming up just like sort of like youth healing and activation work that our city is really going to need a lot of. Um, Like the next thing we're doing um, is a big book drive um, or like not drive, but like giveaway and like a wellness day um, that we're going to be doing next week in Minneapolis. Um, And that'd be great. Um, So the money will continue to go towards stuff like that, like anything that is uh, sort of thinking about the health care and wellness of black folks or black folks and people of color um, in Minneapolis and uh, doing that work, particularly with a lens um, towards abolition. That I believe what the, what the little fund when it gets its name this week uh, (laughs) will be called. Um, So if you send me money, I'm a Venmo. It'll go towards that. Um, If you want to do some more direct action or like, don't feel comfortable sending money to a random poet's uh, Instagram. Even if, even if they're top Uh, 12. yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I am asking folks to donate to the Haley Q. Brown Center. Um, Haley Q. Brown does, uh, they are, are the longest standing food shelf in St. Paul, Minnesota, and they are in danger of closing. Uh, and so, um, yeah, trying to put some money towards saving Haley Q. Brown um, if you want to look out for the folks in the Twin Cities some type of way. And the link for that is in the show notes. Boom. Um, and the second part, what's something you're doing uh, close to every day that's helping you be more okay in this time? Oh, kissing my boo. Um, Beautiful. You know, and it's like been really also tight to see like my boo, like be like, you know, like one of the good whites um, in these times, right? Because you like have a white boo and you're like, "Mm." (laughs) and then they hate white people a little bit more than you do. And then they really be out on the streets. um, And then they're sad when their Black Lives Matter jacket gets stole. And you're like, I know this isn't performative because I see it. And so I'm going to keep you. Um, So this is, you know, and they were already the last white that I was dating before I like gave up. (laughs) Um, and not even on that dream, but just of that possibility, you know, <laughs> like, like in a dream world, I'm, you know, like, the last I would probably, you know, yeah, you know, I live in Minnesota, right? So I was just like, okay, like I might have to date a white person or three in my life. And so they are the last white and they're a pretty good one so far. And so like really actually like being able to like spend time, like I, literally I like turned to them very cornily in bed the other day. and was just like, it's been so nice to love you in the revolution. <laughs> And I meant it. And I hated it. <laughs> and I was like, oh no, there is like some black ancestor whispering this to a white girl in my blood <laughs> way back in the day <laughs> in night, under, under like a 60s sky. <laughs> that trifling ass 60s sky. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why are you in there with that white girl, June Bug? Lord. Like, here I am. 
with my white genderqueer lover <laughs> talking about some I love you in the brotherhood. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so much for chopping up with us. It's good just to talk to you uh, and not be planning someone else's episode. It's nice to talk <laughs> yeah. to you on this one. Yeah. It's uh, nice to like see you and actually like get to talk to you too. Like, you know, cause like most of the time you're like, just like kind of quiet on sides. <laughs> like, you're a very good podcaster. Yes, you know? yes. like, <laughs> I haven't been bullshitting on this stuff. It's good. No, I mean, I listen to your notes all the time. <laughs> What's uh, to say? And also I like Ergo. And so it's like nice to like be on here, right? Like, oh, yeah. um, like, you know, y'all been doing y'all thing for a long time and it's very, it's always great. And so, you know, it's nice to like now say I've been on the show. <laughs> um, Yes, a badge, a badge of honor. You're one of the you're one of the few non Chicagoans, so carry carry that with pride. Well, well, I am like most people from Minneapolis. Um, no, I'm not. Actually, I was about to lie and say I was from Chicago, <laughs> but I'm very much born here. But like everybody from here, like y'all do not. That's what I thought. Move from Chicago, I, yeah, I didn't want to make that assumption. It's a, it, it, I think it, I think the stat is like literally like sixty percent of the black people in Minneapolis have some connection to Chicago. Wow. Okay. And y'all will let it be anything. Like y'all are always from Chicago. Like I, you meet so many people here that are like, I'm from Chicago. <laughs> when did you move here? When I was two months. Like, <laughs> it's like, well, my but grandfather I'm from the moved. South Side. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm from you know, I'm from West Side Chicago. I was born here, but then you know, like we go to Chicago all the time, yeah. and so like I, I visited. Like, yeah. That's that's where my grandma is, so I'm from. And that's how, like, the, the generation before us in Chicago talk about the South, right? So, like, Chicago yeah. has become the Minneapolis' South. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I just, I just think about Chicago as, like, the transfer station of the Great Migration. Right. Mm-hmm. You know? It's like, you, you, you switch. You, that's your layover. Yeah. You know, you go to Chicago first. <laughs> it's like, like a Delta hub. Yeah. Yeah. You, just, yeah, you know? It's like, you fly in Southwest, you're probably yeah. going to have to go through Denver. You know? Yeah. It's like, oh, you're going north. You got to go through Chicago first. It's just like, a... <laughs> oh. All right. Uh, where, where are you at on the socials? Where should people follow in the ways you want uh, to Oh, you come? can follow me at D-A-N-E-Z underscore mm-hmm. S-M-I-F on both Twitter and Instagram, which is all the social media to me. Um, I have a TikTok, but I don't post. I just watch. Um, actually, no, I deleted it because the Chinese government. Mm. Um, and I'm not on Facebook, but you can try to find me. <laughs> just for an activity? <laughs> yeah, just for an activity. Sometimes it's activated. That usually means I'm trying to look for some old picture find me mm. if i'm on there <laughs> i'm at uh ergo kiss i'm at damon underscore af two underscores look at that shout out solidarity <laughs> we're at ergo radio uh and we'll be back on the line showcasing the folks reshaping the culture of our city and world for the more equitable and great much love to the people peace Bye. hey dame what's up kiss i want you to meet my friend miriam here hey miriam nice to meet you nice to meet you too miriam is my oldest friend in the world the whole world and she is a devoted podcast listener. Are you? I am. Oh, well, that's love. I don't even just, I don't mean our podcast. I just mean podcasts in general. Okay. I love podcasts. How, how do you usually find your podcasts? What do you listen to them on? <sighs> the iTunes mm. app. Yeah, I know. Very basic. You're not thrilled with it? It isn't the best. Well, the good news is we actually have a recommendation for you. Oh, yeah? Well, Ergo is sponsored by Overcast. It's an independent podcast app that embraces the open world of podcasting instead of locking it down. Man, it's for the people. No exclusives, no premium content, no paywalls, just a great podcast app for everyone. Get it free in the App Store where you get all the other things. That yeah. You get. 
You gonna check it out? Sounds amazing. Cool. We won you over. Look how effective this ad is. <sighs> yeah. Pay, pay us more money, folks. <laughs> that's that's advertising in action. You see? Works. <laughs> see, that's how good we are at selling. Things. We're doing this. Hey, yo, Harold, hit me up, man. I am an advocate, and I can market your stuff because look how great we just marketed Overcast. We just gave an ad for them and an ad for us. I think it's time to get the fuck out of here. Let's do it. <laughs> 